Amen. You may be seated. Well, we are finishing up our series today, Jesus in an Insidious World. And this is an interesting topic we get to talk about today that I think is going to make your ears perk up just a little bit. First of all, before we close this out, let me remind you what insidious means. Insidious is this snare. It's like something that you fall into and you don't realize is coming. It could also be something planned more likely by those around you or, or somebody has this thing planned that would catch you in a snare. My brother and I, we used to hunt rabbits. You have to be very, very quiet when you're hunting rabbits. And uh, we, would, we would go out into the, the field and we would look for where the bunnies would hop and we would find the tracks. We'd look for a place where there would be like some branches or some heavy weeds close together and then we would tie a little uh, steel snare right across the trap, knowing that this was a popular place for bunnies to go. And if we put the snare just in the right place, inconspicuously with the counterweight just at the right spot, hopefully we could catch a rabbit as it went through the well-worn path. We never did, ever, catch a rabbit. It could have been us, but I'm thinking the rabbits were smarter than us. Either way, that snare reminds me of sometimes the world in which we live. In fact, if you look up the word insidious, one definition says laying a trap. We were crafty, we were subtle, we were, we were careful, and we were hoping it would be deadly for the rabbits. And once his foot was in the noose and he was upside down, it would be too late for him. This idea of insidious is, is one, of the, one of the ways in which culture works to pull us onto a side that we maybe would never have considered years ago. But somehow we find over time that we're adapting, that we're pulled in a way that causes us to think or believe or even promote things we never thought about two years ago. And then all of a sudden they become hills for us to die on now. And this is because we live in a world that I believe sometimes lays these traps for us to get us uh, to believe what they want us to believe. One of those insidious areas that we struggle with is in the in the in the in in the and uh, on the topic of identity. The world in which we live holds a lot of weight in this word identity. Be who you are. Find out who you are. Discover who you are and then be true to who you are. Uh, I, I am, I'm amazed at how our culture, especially in this area of identity, has, has, has begun to travel down this well-worn path that says that identity is found in some unique area or trait of our lives. And if you think about it, that's kind of the world in which we live, right? Who am I? Well, you've got to find that unique area, that unique, uh, that unique thing about you that makes you unique, that makes you different. So I, d so I wanted to th think to myself, okay, uh, what ways are we just used to this kind of definition? And there's several areas, uh, there's several people in our lives 
that we already identify by their unique character or the characteristics or their identifying marks. So I'm going to play a little game with you this morning to see if you're on the same page as I am, all right? I'm going to give you some characters that you know about that are identified by their unique traits or their unique features or their unique characters, all right? And uh, so you fill in the blank, all right? Ready? Ready to play? Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer. There you go. He has a unique characteristic. He has a unique trait. He has a facial feature of a nose that glows in the dark. How about this? Andre the... Oh, you know that one. I was worried. Like uh, For all of you that don't know that one, how about Dwayne Johnson the... Oh, you know that one too. Very good. All right. Now, here's one that, uh, this is actually the first one that came to mind, and I'm not sure if it's, it's, it's kind of in the media today being bantered around, uh, but I'm going to walk the thin line and say that uh, we, can, we can say this here this morning because I actually love the story of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And not only were these short little individuals known as being called dwarfs in the story, but they're also known by their character traits. Can you name the dwarfs. Can you name them all? Can you do it? Come on, let it rip. Happy, dopey, sneezy, grumpy, bashful. Happy, do we do happy? Is that all of them? Dopey, sleepy, grumpy, sneezy, bashful, happy, Doc. I'm not sure how Doc got in there because that's not much of a character trait unless he's always uh, working on the other, the other uh, individuals to make sure that they're okay. I don't know, but... All of this are individuals that are based on traits. Now, this is interesting because we live in a world that constantly does this. Donald Trump was elected because he named the character traits of all the individuals he was running against and gave them not good names. Do you remember this? Don't say any of them this morning. But it's one thing that he, uh, he would say their name and then he would put a characteristic with him and it's stuck in people's minds. Beth's dad grew up in a, in a different time, and uh, he would always tell me about his friends that he hung out with, and he would never name them like Tom or Jim or Sally. He never had real names for them. He always had nicknames for them, and the one that I always remember was Horseface. You remember Horseface? <laughs> he had a friend, and they called him Horseface. Don't know why, but I assume I do, all right? The culture in which we live tells us to find the unique character or trait, that most prominent trait of our lives, and that is who you really are. Now think about the, 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 the craziness of that statement because we just went through a list of people, characters, that you know based on their character traits, and all of them are like, it, it, it's, it's juvenile, horse face. But we live in a world that says your identity, find the most prominent trait, find the most characteristic, the one that occupies the mind your most, whatever that thing is, and let that be your truth, what identifies you as a person. And the key is you're not living your truth until you find that identity and let that identity describe you. Be who you are. Sink into it. Give yourself to it. Believe in it. Freedom is found when you do, and there, once you find that unique trait in you, the thing that preoccupies your mind and makes you so different from everybody else, give yourself to it, and that will be your truth. 
And it can be anything these days, and it's going to get weirder. People will define themselves, find their identity in a variety of different things. I looked up some of the ones that are most, uh, most, uh, most, um, uh, no, not most common, but the newest ones that are coming along. There's one called Other Kin, where you can identify as a mythical creature if you'd like to. And there's one called Weatherkin, where you can identify as a weather pattern if you would like to. Uh, Facebook, in 2014, only had two identities that you could choose from, male or female. In 2015, they had 56 gender options. In 2019, they had 64 gender options. And in 2020, actually today, they have over 80 gender options that you can choose from. I, I'm, I'm not up on all of them. I think it would be very difficult to find 80 different ways to identify gender in unique ways, but apparently people do. This is our culture. Our culture finds their meaning in what their identity is, and whatever that identity is, they are sinking into it, they're believing it. It's becoming who they are, and they're telling the rest of the culture to come along. This week, Apple just came out with a new way you can express yourself online. If you are a male that identifies as a pregnant male, you now can have an emoji that is a male pregnant emoji, if you would like that on, face, on uh, Apple. The world will continue to do this. It will continue to go down these paths because people are looking to find the thing that makes them unique. They're crying out for purpose. The insidious part is this. Value is no longer found in simply being human. It's found in experiences, emotions, or physical traits. This is the world we have created. Value is no longer found in simply being human. It's found in experience, emotions, or physical traits. This is why the world says to us, not what is the truth, but what is your truth. Because whatever your truth is, that is your identity, and I cannot fight against it. It's your particular truth. And truth, unfortunately, changes as the culture changes. Truth is a ship these days attached to a buoy in a storm. It can never be solid. It can never be founded on a base. And when your truth challenges my truth, we either go to your truth or we don't talk anymore. Now you're probably thinking to yourself, okay, Craig, what does this have to do with uh, Jesus and insidious culture in John chapter one? I'm glad you asked. Because Jesus came into this world because we needed help. It's one thing to explain stuff to us. It's another thing to show us. John 1 verse 14 says this. The word, Jesus Christ, we talked about this in our last sessions. You can, you can uh, uh, jump in on those if you're, if you're catching up. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. What I want to focus on this morning is the fact that Jesus came to show us grace and truth. 
I put together a barbecue about 20 years ago. It was my first time putting together a barbecue. I bought a brand new one, and uh, I bought a big one because I like to cook big things. And so I put together this, I, I, I bought this bar, and I pulled the box into our living room. Beth will remember this. I pulled it into our living room. She does, right? You remember this? Yes, she knows the story. I cut it open, and I start putting it together. It was very difficult to do. I followed the instructions written by somebody I'm certain that did not know, like, eighth grade lucky, all right? So, but I'm reading. It was written down. I'm trying to follow the directions. And finally, after three hours, I get to the spot where I'm putting the final pieces on, but they don't fit. And I'm thinking to myself, what in the world? The instructions say this. I did everything according to the instructions. This doesn't fit. And I messed with this thing forever trying to get those final pieces on. And then I realized, I backtracked, I had put the first two pieces on backwards. And because I put the first two pieces on backwards, everything was, I had to take the whole thing apart and start all over again. Now, Beth remembers this because Beth said, from this day forward, Craig, when you buy a barbecue, somebody else is putting it together. <laughs> and I said, no objection, right? And I got help for that one. Thank you, Beth. I did have to call and get help for that one, too. Here's the thing. <laughs> Let's, yeah, okay. All right, thank you. All right, back to the message. <laughs> Jesus came because we had the instructions. We had the Old Testament. We had the law. We were doing it all wrong. We were following it, thinking that we knew everything and all the pieces and how they put together. And God said, oh, you people need help. And he gave us Jesus. Why? Because a lot of us don't work so good with instructions. We need somebody to show us how it works. Jesus came to show us how it works. That's what I believe it means when it says Jesus was full of grace and truth. We needed a living visual in Jesus Christ, somebody to show us how it's done. And John gives us Jesus' light, Jesus' life, all he's wonderful, Jesus is the word, and he finishes by saying Jesus is grace and truth. So, church, what is grace and truth? Grace, you already know, because you, you talk to somebody in this room whose name is Grace, but it's in the Greek, and her name is Charis. She's our daughter. So if you say this in the Greek, it's charis, and she will not respond to that. But charis is the word grace. It simply means exactly what you think it means when you hear it. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace is receiving what we do not deserve. Grace is getting stuff from God that we should never get simply because he loves us. Grace is the father of the prodigal running to him while the prodigal drags himself home. Grace is, grace is Peter being forgiven on the beach after denying Jesus Christ three different times. Grace is Jesus being crucified on a cross and praying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's grace. Grace is the fact that you get eternity with Jesus and your loved ones, and you don't have to do anything to get it because we crawl in the back of Jesus Christ. That's grace. Grace is easy to explain. It's just hard to comprehend because we don't deserve it. It is kindness beyond what we deserve. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word chaved, you want to say that, don't you? Okay, you can. Ready? Chaved. Chaved. It's a great word in the Hebrew, and it simply means kindness. 
kindness of God, loving. Every time you see loving kindness, it's charis. It's grace. Aletheia is the word for truth. Aletheia is a Roman goddess of truth. Aletheia is an interesting word too because sometimes we think, and there's some of you in this room that would be in this boat, I'm not talking to you directly but indirectly. Some of us think truth is I'm going to give you the truth. Damn the canons. You deserve to hear the truth. It's my obligation to tell you the truth. And if our relationship is gone, fine. I've told you the truth. That is not truth according to Scripture. Did you know that? If you give somebody a lot of truth, you will be an awfully judgmental person. Truth is is hard ground to stand on on its own. This might hurt you, but I have to tell you, instead, think about truth as not concealing. Truth is revealing. It's not hiding it. It is full disclosure. It is what the court means when it says, do you promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? In other words, do you promise not to conceal anything that you should be revealing in this court of law. That's truth according to Jesus Christ. Jesus was the very revelation of God. The, the, the facade was pulled back on what people thought God was and we saw God. He was the revealed truth of the Father. Aletheia, one philosopher, his name is Martin Heidegger, you may have known him before. He was in the early 1900s, very popular philosopher, but he, he, he kind of rolled on this idea of Aletheia is not opening the truth, but it is simply not doing anything to conceal the truth. Jesus calls himself grace and truth, functioning completely and absolutely, perfectly, together. In fact, he's full of it, full of grace and truth. So what is insidious about the world that we live in, that we needed to experience grace and truth working together, and we needed an example in Jesus Christ so that we could see it. Without seeing Jesus' example, what we were doing is we were giving mostly grace or mostly truth. We had a very difficult time figuring out how to find the the balance between the two. So therefore, if we gave mostly grace, we became permissive. And if we gave mostly truth, we became judgmental. Jesus entered into a world where it was mostly grace and mostly truth. And Jesus comes into this world and says, now let me give you the perfect balance of the two. He's full of both. And in this way, Jesus, now listen, counteracts intolerance. John 1, 16 and 17 goes on to say, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. If all you have is grace, the law will suffer. If all you have is the law, You will live in a judgmental system. The Pharisees loved this, by the way. They created a system of judgmentalism. (laughs) They thrived on judgmentalism. 
follow the law, give a certain tithe, give, work, serve, do what, do what you need to do. And all the people didn't know anything else. And so they simply followed this oppressive religious system. The Pharisees would say, it's your identity as a Jew, do it. And they had to live up their identity as Jewish people. If they didn't, they would get kicked out. Their, their homes would be taken from them. Their lives would be destroyed. They would lose their jobs. They would be cast out of society. They would be ignored. In other words, church, if the people in Jesus' day did not live up to the expectations of the Pharisaic system, they were canceled. They were not accepted in society. Their lives were made living hell because they could not operate any longer. And if you question those in authority, forget about it. You could not question those or else you would be disciplined or canceled faster. But you could give money and come back in. Could do that. Church, this is simple tribalism. Tribalism says you're in a tribe, stay there. This is where you belong, stay there. If you're, in a le- if you're a leper, you're in an unclean tribe. If you're a Roman, you're in an enemy tribe. If you're a Jewish tax collector like Matthew, you're in the traitor tribe. If you're a prostitute, easily sinner tribe. All these different tribes. And people loved the tribes because they could feel better about who they were if they could understand what tribe the others were in. You can't live in our tribe unless you conform to our tribe. And if you have certain identity factors about your life that make you a certain identity, you'll never get out of your tribe. That's where you belong. Your identity in tribalism is based in conformity to what the others say, think, and do. Church, we live in the same world today. (laughs) We're right there. We have acceptable tribes that this world accepts or identifies for us. You and I are constantly lumped into tribes, right? Are you in a vaccinated tribe or an unvaccinated tribe? Because if you're in a vaccinated tribe, I know everything about you. And if you're in an unvaccinated tribe, I know everything about you. Are you in the mass tribe or the unmasked tribe? Because if you're in the unmasked tribe, one person just told me recently, she said, uh, when I put my mask because I put it over my nose, everybody thinks I'm a Democrat. <laughs> I, think, I think that's hilarious because it goes right along with the message. Are you in a homeschooling tribe? Are you in a religious tribe? Are you in a pro-life tribe? Are you in a using the right pronouns tribe? Are you in a Republican tribe? Are you in a Democrat tribe? Are you in Trump's tribe? Are you in the mass tribe? There are tribes galore, and you fit into one of them. And here's the insidious thing. Nobody wants to really get to know you anymore because they know the tribe you fit in. And they think they know the tribe, therefore they know you. If I can identify your tribe, I can put you in a category where I can live with myself and I can live with you a little better because I know you are not only in that tribe, but you hold all of the characteristics of everybody else in that tribe. So I judge you by the tribe I put you in, not as an individual human being. This is insidious. Because I have no idea how we got here, but we are here. And this rabbit path is well-worn. And I think 
this is from the devil because it takes us out of the humanity tribe and it puts us into the categorical tribal tribes. You're told what to oppose. You're told who to accept. You're told who to reject. You're told who to value. You're told who to hang out with. You're told what life is about. Tribalism is identity politics at its finest. I don't have to spend time with these people because they don't agree with my identity and I don't agree with them. They're out of my tribe. Here's the insidious thing about if you're living this way and if you are, wide is the path, right? Many choose it. And some of us as believers get stuck in this same thought process. And I think this is why John describes Jesus as perfect grace, full grace, and full truth working together. And I'll get there in just a second why that's the case. But before I get there, let me just one more time identify some things that are really scary about tribalistic thinking. Number one, it gives you a faux truth, a false truth. Tribalism seeks to cover the truth about who they are so that they can make you buy the identity they want you to buy. I don't have to tell you everything about our tribe. I just have to make it good enough so that it pulls you in, and therefore, once you're in, you're all, you're all in or you're all out. It gives you a false truth. Number two, it gives you a false peace. peace. Tribalism gives me a false peace about myself because here's, here's the bottom line. I need to be feeling comfortable about who I am, and the only way that's happened is if I can really be comfortable about who you are. If you challenge my truth, I'm going to be feeling uncomfortable about myself. So I've got to be totally able to identify you and understand you, you and I are just never going to think alike. We're never, we're never going to agree. So you can say whatever you want, but it's not breaking through. It gives me a false peace about myself. I can feel better about myself when people are in categories. And the last one, I think it gives us a false grace. Because every tribe says, you should be totally tolerant. Welcome everybody into your tribe with open arms. But just try disagreeing with one part of that tribal authority. Just question one part of that tribe's belief system and you will be cast out. So it gives you a false grace. They say all are welcome, but no one's allowed to ask questions. We've seen celebrities, we have seen celebrities question their tribal systems who have been cast out. Have you seen these? Like the minute they say one thing wrong, they're cast out until they give lots of money or get a wing of the hospital named after themselves or donate to some group or some organization and the tribe will welcome them back with open arms. Tribal living is anti-Jesus living. It is not accepting, but it is extremely dismissive. It is being invited to sit at the cool table. As long as you perform, as long as you succumb to the demands. The dangerous conclusion of tribalism is people are treated as objects and not as humans. People become the sum of their foibles or their past experiences. We're labeling everybody like sneezy, grumpy, horse face. Everybody is being labeled, stuck into a tribe so that we can live better with them and better with ourselves. This is insidious and it's happening all the time. <laughs> Listen, church, people are valuable because they're made in the image of God, period. It doesn't matter what they look like, what they believe, what, they, what, what books they read, what, ob, what organizations they give to. The bottom line is Jesus loves us 
because we are in his image and we love others simply because they are made in the image of God. Broken like we are, but loved because God loves them. I don't know how we've fallen so far away from this very simple truth other than to say it has been an insidious journey up a well-worn path and there's a lot of bunnies hanging upside down if you look around you. This is our solution. See individuals first and foremost as images of God. People are valuable because they're simply made in God's image. We cannot allow the world to identify tribes for us any longer. We must first see those people as Jesus saw them. Nobody was out of Jesus' reach. Nobody was out of Jesus' tribes. True or false? Who did Jesus say, nah, not, you're not coming in my tribe? No. You look different. You smell different. You act different. Nobody likes you that much. No, you're not coming into our tribe. Did Jesus ever draw the line for anybody? No one was in a different tribe for Jesus. No one was dismissed for being thrown in a bucket of tribes. Jesus didn't see prostitutes. Jesus didn't see tax collectors. Jesus didn't see sinners. Jesus didn't see genders. Jesus didn't see skin color. Jesus didn't see any of that. He saw an image of God. Jesus saw people, and he showed every person that he saw grace and truth. The one person that should judge people in this world didn't. If anyone has the right to sit there and say, you know, you've really messed up, it should be Jesus, right? He's getting his feet washed by a prostitute. He should be looking down at her going, you know, these Pharisees, they're all sinners too. I'm not. And I just want to tell you, you're a royal screw-up. The one person that could didn't. Why? Because he sees an image The woman at the well racked in relationships all around her. What did Jesus say to her? You speak the truth. You've been with seven men. You're with one right now that you're not married to. He didn't hold back the truth, but he made a special journey there to let her know she's on the list. He sends his own disciples away so he can have one-on-one. How would you like to have one-on-one time with Jesus? He sends his own disciple away and gives this woman the greatest gift in the world, a conversation with the God who created her so he could tell her, listen, I love you. Enough to do this with you. I'm seeking you out. But listen, you are wrecking your life with these relationships. Grace, truth. The woman caught in adultery. We love to tell that story. She's thrown at Jesus' feet. All those Pharisees, because they're following the law, ready to stone her. <laughs> She's ready to die. Jesus looks up and says, he was without sin, cast the first stone. Thump, 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 thump. Rocks hit the ground. Pharisees walk away because they're all sinners too. The woman looks up at him and says, and he says to her, where are your accusers? The one that should accuse her is still there. He says to her, where are your accusers? She said, I don't see any. He said, neither do I accuse you. Do you know what he said after that? Because we miss this a lot. He lifts her up and he says, don't do this anymore. Go and sin no more. Grace, truth. 
Peter denies Jesus three times. Jesus meets him on the beach after he denies Jesus three times. Three times Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? Peter says, you know I love you. Second time, do you love me? Peter says, yes, 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 I love you. I'm sorry. I, I know what you're driving at. Yes, I blew it. I'm sorry for denying you. Feed my sheep. Okay, fine. Last time, Peter, do you love me? You know I love you. Why do we keep having this conversation? Because, Peter, you are going to wear this guilt around your neck for the rest of your life, and I need you to let it go. So I'm going, to den- I'm going to forgive you three times because you denied me three times. Now go and do what I created you to do. Grace, truth. The rich young ruler. What does the law say? I'll tell you what the law says. I know every word of it. Fantastic. Now go sell everything that you have and follow me. And he wouldn't do it. Why? Because the truth was he loved his stuff more than he loved God. Grace, you can follow me. Truth. You got to understand you got an idol. Grace, truth, grace, truth, grace, truth. All the people that came across Jesus knew that they were heard. They knew that they were seen. They knew that they were valued. Even the ones who beat him at his death. He touched those who were not allowed to be touched. He spoke with those who were not supposed to be spoken to. He gave time to others ignored and rejected by Everybody around them, but he never left them the way, he never left anyone, anyone the way that they came to him. They were all changed because he gave them grace and he gave them truth. Leave out one and you got nothing. Do them both, you got a powerful message. Grace and truth working together smashes intolerance. Listen, church, this is for anyone caught in the snares of the devil. We have to give them grace and truth. This is how you raise your kids. You got to give them grace. You got to give them truth. This is how you identify with your relatives. You got to give them grace and you got to give them truth. This is how you learn to love your enemies. You give them grace. You give them truth. This works in every circle of relationships that we have. We need to be fully grace and fully truth, not neglecting one for the other, but a genuine balance of both. It works in every relationship. Don't sacrifice truth and grace for judgmentalism of tribal politics. Judgmentalism is, by the way, the thing that keeps people from the gospel. You're all hypocrites. Eh, all right, that's a cop-out. But the reason they get that is because a lot of us are way too judgmental. Grace and truth are what pulls people out of the darkness. So what? Let me recap some of the things we talked about because it's been a lot. One, our identity in Jesus supersedes any tribal value. Our identity in Jesus supersedes any tribal value. Whatever you were before is not what you are now. You are made new in Jesus Christ. All tribes are muted in Jesus Christ. Colossians 3.10. We have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is neither, say it with me, church, it's great. Here there is neither Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. You know what that means? It means that you're new in Jesus. Old tribes are muted. When you come to Jesus, your identity is no longer found in where you were born, or what your tribal values were before you came to Jesus. By the way, there can still be valuable truths, and I love being Canadian. 
I am in the tribe of those who are Canadian. I like being Canadian, but I don't like socialized medicine. But I do love maple syrup, but I don't like snow 12, eight months out of the year. You know what I'm saying? So there's some things I like, some things I'm going to keep, some things I leave behind. It doesn't mean that tribal values are all wrong. The, the groups that we came out of, it doesn't mean that there's no good in there. We need to forsake it all. Tribal values are simply muted in Jesus Christ. Your tribe is no longer your final identity. Your final identity is you are new in Jesus. You are a Jesus follower. He affects every part of your life. I'm not assigned a bucket based on my skin color, my experiences, my failures, or my successes. I am a new creation in Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians says it this way, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what church? New creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The old buckets I used to be identified in, gone. Now my primary identity is in Jesus Christ. I know I have value and meaning simply because I know God loves me. And I know he chose me to follow him. And that's pretty awesome. And by the way, I know others are made in the image of God. So I look at them as, as people that God loves as well, being made in God's image. Number two, I can be a revealer of truth and grace in this present world. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. As difficult as that is, you want to be Jesus in this culture? Sit with people your tribe tells you not to. Pray for those who abuse you. I know I sound a little like Jesus now. Forgive those who hurt you. Spend time with those who your tribe tells you not to respect. In other words, church, do what Jesus did. Just do what he did. There's nobody beyond his reach. Number three, stick with what you know to be true. Many churches are adapting their views to fit the culture. They are buying tribal viewpoints and advertising them on their billboards. We are a blank church. Be careful. Because once you start down that road, you become somebody who believes in tribes too. We value everybody, not based on what their views are, what their foibles are, what their gender identity is, what their pronouns are, what they look like, smell like. We don't judge people by any of those things. The Bible says, judge not lest you be judged. Jesus didn't judge us before he loved us, and neither do we. Very difficult because of the world in which we live. That says they're not judgmental, but boy, are they ever. Culture will pull you to conform to their ever-changing truth, and you'll never be able to keep up with it. Like a ship tied to a buoy in a storm. Go with Jesus' advice. Matthew 7, verse 24. Jesus said, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, will be like a wise man who builds his house on a rock. Don't you love that? And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. Think, and times changed. But it did not fall because it had been founded on a rock, and everyone who hears these words of mind and does not do them will be like a foolish man building his house on sand. 
And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Church, stick with what you know to be true. Jesus Christ and his truth have been preserved and revealed to us because God does not withhold truth. Aletheia, he reveals it. And we have seen Jesus, and we have seen God's truth. Stick with what Jesus says and what he does. Okay, Craig, but how do I live in an intolerant world? How do I go out these doors and put this into practice? I'm glad you asked. That brings us to the last, so what? Number four. Leave the outcome to God. Leave it to God. Just be grace and truth and leave the outcome to God. Truth without grace is not really truth, and grace without truth is not really grace. Be equally both in this world that desperately needs an example of Jesus. The solution is found, I believe, in our intolerant culture. The solution is found in how we live grace and truth together as Jesus would. Don't turn out enemies by telling the truth and letting the chips fall where they may. (laughs) And don't be so gracious that you let the truth wander out the back door and you just accept everybody. for This makes me a little nervous. Some of the songs that we say, just Jesus just takes me as I am. Yeah, he takes me as I am, but he doesn't leave me there. God's goal is to change me more into an image of Jesus Christ. And that should be ours as well. Don't turn out enemies. Reveal the truth, give it in grace, and if they don't accept, leave it to God. Stop canceling people and family members out of your lives. Well, Craig, they don't agree with me. No joke. No joke. Your spouse probably doesn't agree with you either. Right? Nobody's going to agree with everybody. (laughs) Yeah, Dave. Nobody's going to agree with everybody on everything. Live with it. Give grace, give truth, and let Jesus do the rest. Stop canceling people and family members out of your lives. Jesus never canceled anyone. Church, say it with me. Jesus Never canceled anyone. Even the, even, the, <laughs> even the Pharisees, who he called snakes and, 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 and bones in, empty to, in, in, in open tombs. Like, not a great compliment. A den of snakes. But when Nicodemus came to him at night and said, Jesus, can I talk to you? What did Jesus do? No, you're canceled. I don't talk to people like you. You're in that tribe. Jesus made time for him, and we have one of the best passages in Scripture that most of us memorize because we see it at football games because Jesus said it to Nicodemus that night. For God so loved the world. The world. God so loved the world, not this tribe or that tribe. or God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever... No limitations. Whosoever believes in him should never perish but have eternal life. Reveal truth. Don't beat others with it. No more than God does with you. Reveal truth. Don't make enemies by telling people how right you are and how wrong they are. Don't do that. Reveal truth. But be gracious. Extend forgiveness. Be understanding. Show kindness. Bite your tongue. And offer love. Because that's what Jesus 
Father God, I'm grateful for our time this morning and this very timely message about how to live in an intolerant world. Um, Boy, it seems like we are being more and more canceled as the years go on. But Father, may we never be capitulating to the culture around us. Let us stand firm in the truth and let us give it in grace. Thank you for the rock of your truth that will withstand any storm that the world throws at us, withstand any change of time. Thank you for the word of God that will stand forever. And thank you for Jesus Christ that showed us who are so messed up and how to live all this stuff out that he came and said, okay, let me show you how it's done. Help us to do as Jesus would do, love as he would love, give truth as he would give, and be gracious as only he is to us. Thank you, Father, for capitulating to our needs so much. We are grateful for all you have done for us. Now let us do it for others. May we be reconcilers of those around us as you have reconciled us to yourself. In Jesus' name I pray.